Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. Um, Before every podcast, I mention some products that I have available. Here's the reason I mention them. Resources are vital to leaders. If you're going to be a sustaining leader, you have to surround yourself with resources all the time. I want to go back and mention that at our conference, our leadership conference, I did a lesson on how COVID changed the church forever. If you haven't downloaded that from my website, I'm telling you, it is gold. It will give you some ideas to think. It will give you some concepts to begin to wrap your arm around. And let me say, you may not be, quote, a church pastor, but if you're in business, some of the thoughts in there will help you navigate what your business is going to have to do in the future because of how COVID has changed the future forever. So I want to encourage you, you can go download those at my website. Also my new book, Survival Skills. Uh, I'm telling you, if you are a pastor, you need to get this. You need to teach it. It will frame the mindset for your congregation on how they are to navigate the events we're in and unfortunately future events that (coughs) will happen. And you just need to be able to uh, prepare them for these moments. I would like to talk to you today about a few things a leader should never do. A few things that a leader should never do. When we talk about leadership, we tend to talk about the things a leader should do. But I want to give you some things that a leader should never do. So let's just jump in. A leader should never be a referee. A leader should never be a referee. When I say being a referee, that means being pulled into relationship drama. Every team has personalities. Personalities have conflict. Conflict creates drama. So every team has personalities. Personalities create conflict, and conflict creates drama. For some people relationally, The only way they've ever learned to handle relationship moments is by calling someone else in to be the decider of the facts. But the reality is, as a leader, that's not your job. And what I would say to you is do not allow team members to avoid acting like Christians. The Bible already creates some very clear protocols on what individuals are to do when they have conflict. The Bible says that if your brother or your sister offends you, that you're to go to them alone, that you are to try to create dialogue. You're trying to create understanding. You're trying to create moments that you can begin to work together. And so a lot of people will will come and say, hey, I think um, I'm going to leave. And when you begin to quiz them, it's because of a relationship moment within the organization. But what happens is this. Many of them do that to try to draw you into it. 
And my question to people is always this, tell me what you've done to get where we're at now. Have you had the dialogue? Have you had the moment? See, I refuse to be a substitute for Christian protocols. I will force them to interact together, to be together, to be able to uh, dialogue together. And so as a leader, do not be a referee. Do not get pulled into every relational drama on your team. Understand that there's always drama that happens with people. Force people to have the reality of having to engage and build bridges. Just do not be a referee. The next one is uh, don't do what others can do. Don't do what others can do. See, as a leader, I have to choose. I have a limited amount of time. I have a limited amount of energy. I have a limited amount of focus. So what I need to do is I need to do those things no one else can do or no one else is able to do or no one else is positioned to do. But I can't do the things that no one else can do if I'm doing the things others can do. And so let me give you just a couple of ways leaders get drawn into this. Just because it's easier for you to do it yourself doesn't mean that it's wiser. Please understand that. Just because it's easier for you to do it yourself, it does not mean that it's wiser. See, it's easier for me to do certain things because of the longevity and the number of times I've done them. It's not wiser. It's not good for me. It's not good for the people. And it's not good for the organization. So don't do what others can do. Another way we get drawn into it, it may not be as fast if you let others to do it, but it's always better if others do it. So I may be able to do it faster because I've already spent time in the learning curve. I know exactly what to do, but it's not going to make them better and it's not going to make the organization better and it's not going to make me better. So when you're a leader, you do the things that nobody else can do. You do not do the things that others can do, even if you can do them faster And even if you can do them better, what you do is you teach them. And as you teach them, you go through the process of saying, these are things that I've learned to help them to be wiser and help them to be better. And that helps the organization to be better. So a leader, they don't become a referee. A leader doesn't do what others can do. A leader does not allow others to backdoor your team. A leader does not allow others to backdoor your team. Now, what that means is this. If I do not protect my team, then my team will not protect me. If I don't protect my team when someone comes after them and says, I can't believe what so-and-so did or so-and-so didn't do. If I don't put my hand up and say, hey, They're my team. They're who I trust. I have to protect my team. And what that means is a little bit of one of the previous thoughts. I don't let them come to me 
if they haven't already gone to them. I make them talk to my team. One, I want my team to learn how to handle these moments. Two, I want my team to learn the wisdom that comes from criticism. But number three, I don't want people thinking they can jump ahead in line. They don't get to do that. Now, here's the reason this is critical. If you don't protect your team, then your team will not protect you. And I can say this just totally accurately. I've never had anyone on my team that someone hasn't come to me and told me why I should let them go. I haven't had anyone on my team right now, let alone in the past, that I haven't had that. And I just look at them and I smile. Because here's the thing. I need a team to do what I'm doing. And I'm not going to let someone disrupt my team. I'm going to protect my team. And many times I have found that my team was wrong. But I'm not going to handle that in a way that it creates a problem for my team. I'll handle that in a personal way. So three things. Don't be a referee. Don't do what others can do. And don't allow others to backdoor your team. The next one. Express, do not express disagreements in public. Do not express disagreements in public. You never take a private issue and make it public. You handle it privately. That is the preferred way. Now, the reason that's critical as a leader is if you go into even a staff meeting and in that team meeting and staff meeting, someone has done something and you bring it up publicly, then you've done a couple of things to create injury. One, you've created embarrassment. Two, you've created fear with other team members. And three, you probably haven't resolved the issue. But what happens is when you deal with things publicly that should only be dealt with privately, you force people to choose sides. People have to decide, do they side with you or do they side with them? And so when you take an issue that is valid, but you handle it publicly, you create an environment where you've divided your own team because people are going to have to choose whose side they're on. So when it comes to disagreements, and we all have them, let's just be honest. I go home every day and I disagree with me. I look back on decisions that I've made and I say, man, I'm not sure that was the best decision. I look back on a direction that we may have pursued and I'm thinking, man, that wasn't the best direction. I look at money that we spent. I wished we hadn't have spent this. Well, the whole concept is this. Uh, when you disagree, which is going to happen, you handle it personally, not publicly. And so the more you handle things personally versus publicly, you create a safe environment. And a safe environment is where people thrive. So don't be a referee. Don't do what others can do. Don't allow others to backdoor your team and don't express disagreements in public. And then don't put up with a bad attitude. Don't put up with a bad attitude. See, 
in an organization, everyone has a right to have a bad day. I have bad days. You have bad days. Other people have bad days. Something may be going on at home. Someone may not be feeling well. Someone may be just responding to the pressure of the moment. Everyone has bad days. And let me just go on and say everyone has bad weeks. That's just the nature of individuals. But here's the thing. No one gets to have a bad attitude. Having a bad day is one thing. A bad week is another thing. But a bad attitude is a whole different thing. Years ago, I framed this thought. If you work at an organization, when you take the check, you lose the right to have a bad attitude. See, if you work at an organization and you took the check and you cashed it, you lose the right to have a bad attitude. And the reason you lose that right is because people will give you a bad attitude for free. I don't need to hire somebody to get a bad attitude. I can get that for free. There are people who think it's their God-given gift to give me a bad attitude. There are people who think that they are serving God with their poor attitude. But here's the thing. When you work at an organization, you do not get to take the check and have a bad attitude. So the moment you take the check, lose the attitude. You don't get it both ways. You don't get paid and get the attitude. You can get paid and lose the attitude, or you can keep the attitude and not get paid. So from a leadership standpoint, I'll put up with bad actions because every now and then someone just does something wrong. But a bad attitude is more dangerous than a bad action. See, an action tends to be singular. An attitude multiplies. So I'm very, very sensitive when I begin to sense a bad attitude. It may require some research and understanding. Is someone going through drama or trauma? But nobody gets to possess a bad attitude. And let me go back to the beginning. I said all of us have a bad day. All of us have a bad week. But if you're the only one that gets to have a bad day and a bad week, then that means that you have a bad attitude. Nobody gets to be the source of ministry. You get to be bigger than ministry, and you get to help do ministry. So don't put up with a bad attitude. Don't create policy. Teach principles. Don't create policy. Teach principles. Now, please understand something. I get it. Insurance companies require that organizations they insure have policy manuals. I've got to have one. You've got to have one. All God's people have to have one. But here's the thing. Policy manuals become an excuse not to teach principles. And when it comes to creating a policy that someone can read rather than a principle someone can learn, what I would say to you, it's always better off to teach principles. So I would rather teach a principle and say, these are the ways we think. These are the ways we operate. And for people to begin to learn the principle rather than memorize a manual. So if people 
memorize a manual and don't learn principles, what you have is you have the letter of an organization, but you don't have a good spirit in the organization. So create policy. Don't do that when you can teach a principle. So I would rather teach someone why we think a certain way, why we do certain things, why we respond this way, than just be an individual who says, go read the policy book. So let me put it this way. Policy manuals aren't a substitute for teaching leadership principles. Policy manuals are not a substitute for teaching leadership principles. They're just not. The next one, don't give up on growing. I don't know how often I can say this and how many ways I can say it, but here's the truth. If you're not growing, you're not leading. And if you quit growing, you quit leading. Growth doesn't have a finish line. I now will have done what I do for 44 years. Most people don't do anything for 44 years. But I've done what I do for 44 years. And every day, I go to the office and ask a question. How can I grow? Because I know 44 years gives me perspective. But growth gives me opportunity. And a lot of people have perspective but they don't have opportunity. Growth is what creates opportunity. So just get out there and grow. The next principle, don't treat everyone the same. Don't treat everyone the same. Now let me revisit this before we get far into it. We know that there is a standard of operation that is required, that we love one another even as God for Christ's sake, has loved us. So what I'm saying is, is there's some things that are universal. My value towards people is the same. My love for people is the same. I love you. I value you. But here's the part that's different. When it comes to team, not everyone's treated the same. So let's just take the illustration of football. You don't treat the kicker, the way you would treat your defensive tackle. If you made your kicker do everything your defensive tackle wants to do, your kicker wouldn't be able to kick. If you made your wide receiver do everything that your defensive tackle does, the wide receiver would never be able to run. What I'm saying is, is that everyone's not treated the same. And we know that just from Jesus, because we know that he had 12 disciples, but there were three that got treated a little bit different. Peter, James, and John, they were sort of the inner circle. People say, well, we shouldn't have an inner circle. Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He brought them into moments that other people weren't in. They got to see things that other people did not see. They were able to experience what others did not experience. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Others were not on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were in some of the high-quality rooms that other people weren't in. Why? Because Jesus knew that in every team, there are still people that you need to be in places everyone else may not be. 
So if you try to treat everyone the same, what happens is, is that you become ineffective. So when it comes to my organization, there's a couple of people that are going to be involved in every decision. There are other people who are going to be involved in some decisions. And there are other people who are just pretty well going to be let know, or we're going to let them know that decisions have been made. Why? I need certain people to live the decision. I need certain people to execute the decision. And then I need other people who are just going to hear about the decision. So you don't treat everyone the same. You don't lead people, the next principle, who you're not willing to pray for. If you're not willing to pray for them, then do not lead them. If you're not willing to pray for them, then do not lead them. One of my jobs is to pray for my team. One of my jobs is to pray for my organization. Now, I get it. Some of you are business people. But I do think businesses run better when the leader prays for the business and the people. But you don't lead people that you're not willing to pray for. Prayer is what gives you the privilege of leadership. Not talent, prayer. When you pray, you create the opportunity to lead. So don't lead people that you will not pray for. And lastly, don't dump, delegate. Do not dump, delegate. There's a lot of words out there for delegate, but delegating basically means I hand off certain jobs. But there's a difference between handing off a job that you've delegated and handing off a job that you've dumped. See, really, in in leadership, the difference is the difference between vision and value. So when I delegate, I create vision and value. I let people know what we're doing, vision. I let people know why we're doing it, value. That's called delegating. I delegate a job, but I give vision and value. But on the other hand, when I dump, I don't give vision and value. I just say, go do this. I don't care. Dumping is just getting something off the plate. It's clearing your desk, but it's not delegating. And it's unfortunate some leaders dump They've never delegated. So let me give you the principles, things that a leader never does. They don't become a referee. They don't do what others can do. They don't allow others to backdoor their team. They don't express disagreements in public. They don't put up with a bad attitude. They don't create policy. They teach principles. They don't give up on growing. They don't treat everyone the same. They don't lead people that they're unwilling to pray for, and they don't dump, they delegate. I hope this helps you. I hope maybe it refines leadership for you a little bit. And then that being said, I hope that you will go to my webpage, look at all the resources we have there, and make them a part of your journey. And so I want to encourage you If you will go there, look at those. You need to get 
how COVID has changed the church forever. It's a download. You'll also get three other downloads with that, but they'll help you in your leadership journey. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com.